You're listening to the New Century Multiverse, The Princess Thieves. Part 2. Camelot. Chapter 9. The Stone and the Sword. Breakfast with Old Meg was a meaty affair with bacon, eggs, and three kinds of sausages. Gwendolyn, who had never eaten black pudding, found herself a new least favorite food, but the rest she found delicious. Old Meg attacked her own meal noisily and remained mostly silent. Viola would not speak to Oberon or Robin, Oberon would not speak to Viola, and both Robin and Gwendolyn found themselves a little shy all of a sudden. Gwendolyn solved this awkward silence with periods of explaining to the room how different things were to her here. She had hoped this would put them at ease and perhaps get them talking. By the time the eggs were being mopped up with the last of the crusty bread, she had trailed off and just allowed everybody to chew in peace. Now full and slightly less anxious, Gwen inclined in her seat. She had been regarding Old Meg's kitchen and, through doorways, the rest of the home the extraordinary woman had made here. Certain artifacts had caught her attention, including a globe, a telescope, and, roosting on a perch in one corner, a particularly grumpy-looking owl— Old Meg was watching the princess as she licked the grease daintily from her fingertips. Do you know where you are, girl? The princess rose from the breakfast table, crossed to the front door, and opened it to take in the morning sun falling upon the ruins that surrounded them. Little bolts of lightning danced up Gwendolyn's spine as she stood silhouetted in the doorway and found the words. Camelot. Yes. Gwen turned to find that the entire table was looking at her expectantly. Her breathing was quickened. Her cheeks flushed. Viola told me about the Duart version of the Camelot legend after she read me The Idols of the King by Tennyson. Robin perked up at the mention of this. Yes, I read that one too. I do like the way he tells it, though his take on femininity leaves a lot to be desired. But if we're in Camelot right now... And what you told me was actually true, Viola, then that means the sword is here. Old Meg nodded, slowly. Quite so. Robin glanced at her, and then across to Gwen with a strange expression that she could not place. In a flash it was gone, and his breezier demeanor returned. May I see it? Please. Course you can, love. It's the first thing most people go to. Lead the way. Old Meg sighed and hefted her staff stalking out of the front door with the rest following her through the crumbling stonework. Robin paced out in front and turned to the group, nimbly walking backwards as he spoke. You see, your King Arthur was an ancient Roman-era tribal leader who, while charismatic and seasoned in battle and a born leader, was sadly far less magical in real life than Tennyson or Sir Thomas Mallory and that fellow Geoffrey of Monmouth built him up to be. You see, it all came down to the sword he was bestowed. In your world, it was a length of metal with a pointy end used to marshal the tribes to his aid in defeating the Saxons. Your scribes and poets speak with reverence of Excalibur, and its symbolic nature was romanticized and made all the more epic in the retelling. 
But like Beowulf before him, King Arthur was ultimately just a man, holding a well-crafted steel sword. Throughout time, across worlds, swords of significance have emerged and become legends, along with those who wielded them. The one in Celador, uh, Kelador, was never really only a sword. And as he said this, they emerged into a quiet courtyard, into which shafts of sunlight shone through the thick canopy of a glade of trees, arrayed within its stone walls. The air hung with tiny, glowing, orange motes of dust, and before them, not twenty yards away, up at the top of a flight of steps with a sunbeam drenching it, stood the sword. It was wound with ivy, its blade dull and corroded, its handle faded gold. At the base of the blade, just above the hilt, a blackened sphere was inset. Below these were symbols not unlike hieroglyphics. It was, just as Gwen had been told as a child, firmly driven into a stone tablet, the side of which was engraved with more words in that same unfamiliar language. Robin continued his words. What stands before you is the Archenblade. Archenblade. The Archenblade, sorry. Do you see that orb? Yes. Well, that made this artifact so much more. When he held it, King Arthur was a demigod, capable of astonishing feats of strength and endurance. Since his passing, the sword has waited, entombed in stone for many long years, for the return of someone suitable enough to be its bearer. Meg, say I walked up now and tried to pull it out. Go ahead. Gwen did not move. Viola told me that many have tried already. Countless. Arthur left no heirs. His bloodline ended with him. What's binding the sword in place? Do you have to be a rightful king or a queen? Can you read the writing etched in the stone at the base? No. That's a shame. I was hoping you could tell me what it says. Viola climbed the steps and squinted at the wording before shaking her head. Arca? I already know I can't read that. Well, should I give it a try anyway? I mean, it can't hurt. It didn't hurt the others who tried, did it? I hear some of them broke their arms pulling too hard. But no, no, there aren't any curses, apparently. Gwendolyn glanced at her companions and gingerly climbed the steps to stand behind the sword. She flexed her fingers and reached out her hand, grasping the hilt. In a breathtaking flash, absolutely bugger all happened. Gwen grunted a few times and pulled until her arm hurt before angrily giving up. Oh, sod it. I thought that would work. Maybe if you come back when you're a queen. I don't see why that would make any difference. All the legends say Arthur was just a stable boy when he pulled the sword out. See, it knows if you're the right, worthy person. You think it's to do with value? I'm being judged by a sword. For what it's worth, Gwendolyn, I believed you could draw it out. Thank you, Robin. No good, though. It was like trying to pull the head off a statue. 
Feels like the sword is part of the stone now. I believe in you too. Do you want to try it, Viola? I mean, Arthur was a thwart. Maybe it will work for you. Maybe you're supposed to be here. Maybe this story is about you. No, no, Gwen, I, I don't think it is. Old Meg, who had been watching the struggle in subsequent deliberation, stepped forward and spoke to the princess, her grey eyes piercing through the layers of defeat and doubt. From what I hear, you're about to become a queen anyway. An empress, no less, with no requirement for a demigod blade. That's a great deal of responsibility, Gwendolyn. The worst people who came here trying to pull it out all had one thing in common. I've seen them come and go, and most of them were not happy with the immense power they already had, and came looking for more. Apparently, the world owes them success. That fallen tree there was hacked down in a peak of frustration by a chap named Edgar of Glendale. He's dead now. And the best of them? The best of them come looking only to protect those weaker than they. It breaks my heart to see the look of hope in their eyes, to hold my breath along with them and believe just for a moment that they will be the one who can solve the riddle of the sword. When they fail, as everyone does, it hits them far harder than the first lot I told you about. The self-entitled lash out at a world that won't give them everything their little hearts desire. Selfless have nowhere to look but within. Nobody to blame but themselves. Gwen glanced down to Robin at the foot of the steps and realized who old Meg was talking about. That look on his face she had not been able to place earlier might just have been a potent mixture of envy and admiration. In fact, it was one she had received from many people throughout her life, though she had been too focused on her own business to notice. And besides, Robin's expression had more mixed in that she couldn't place... Nonetheless, it was clear to the princess that this young dwarf had stood where she was now, and he had failed, just as surely as she had. That new and unusual squeeze on her heart grew tighter as she looked at him. In the afternoon sun, things had become somewhat more tense. Robin was laying out elaborate plans to Oberon to convey their ransom demands for the princess and 1,500 gold through a dozen proxies, the difficulty being the time that would take. Gwendolyn sat lazily in the sunshine, reading one of old Meg's books. Viola was perched nearby, eyeing her in a worried fashion. Every glance she stole at Robin across the pages made her small companion fume. Robin had noticed, and at around three o'clock, sauntered over. Okay, we've worked out the most balanced way to get the ransom through. It's a compromise of safety and speed. We don't want to sacrifice too much of one for the other. But it's looking like we can get you home on Thursday afternoon. Do you, uh... Do you mind waiting that long? No. Yes. Yes, she minds. The princess minds greatly. What, what a question! No, Viola, I don't mind spending some time here. Only, do you think we might explore a little more of Celador than these ruins? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's, there's roaming gangs all over. And Akka. This is where the worst of them still live, you know. 
The kind that weren't even civil enough for London. I am right here. Oh, yes. How could I forget? Your friend really is... Well, I was going to say extraordinary, but I'm going to go with extraordinarily unpleasant to spend time with. She's normally fine with me, I assure you all. Look, Violet, see reason here. Reason! Reason! Really reason! With Oberon with us, I don't think we have that much to fear. Oh, we have plenty to fear! Do you want to know the great crime the Akka committed which made the Duarte hate us so much? Why they're so afraid? Anybody? Anybody want to be filled in on why we're such a bunch of untrustworthy thugs? We saved every single one of your lives. Oh, oh yes, yes, here it comes, here it comes. Yeah, here it comes. Do you know this story, Princess? Not the exact story you're about to tell, I warrant. Figures. Your nanny wouldn't be too keen to give you an accurate history lesson. Turns out about 30 years ago, those drakes that your Arthur was so good at holding at bay when he was alive came back. Started ravaging the Southlands. This whole countryside here was a Drake playground. They cooked and ate whatever and whoever they wanted. And what did you have, huh? What amazing magic did your people have to call on for your defense? Fire. Absolutely right. Fire. Against a flying lizard with a gut full of it and unburnable skin. You people were absolutely screwed. So then we came along, the Akka, through a portal much like the one we came through this morning. We were fleeing Hanoth, our own realm, and we brought with us a different magic. Ice. The Akka shamans who had harnessed ice casting were all recruited by you, by your dukes, to head up your armies and drive the drakes back to the Northland. But you didn't take the trouble to kill them, did you? No, you insensitive little shit. We didn't manage to kill many of them because it's goddamn hard to kill a drake. But many of our shamans lost their lives in pushing them back. We were dying too. But we didn't have to. We could have just left you guys to burn. Moved across the green sea. We fought and died to protect you. Only in exchange for land. Don't let him play the hero here, Gwendolyn. His people were mercenaries, plain and simple. And after we finished the fight, they weren't happy with their pay, and they've been nipping at our heels ever since, trying to take more. We were promised fertile ground. Somewhere secluded and with room to grow again. We were promised a future. They gave us marshland and waste ground. They gave us slums and Londinium. You promised us life, but delivered purgatory. I've had enough of this slander. Come on, princess. We're leaving. What? What? Wait. Yes, wait. No, 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 no. I've played along with this. Out of fear and love for you. Hold on. All right, and I've tried to convince myself I was doing right by you, Gwen. I really was. But this ends now. I'm taking you home. If we could all just... We'll have to walk it. And for that, I'm sorry, but... You're not going anywhere. Don't test me. You have no idea what I can do to your minds. May I suggest a compromise? Gwen, please listen. Viola, darling. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. All of you. All of you, shut up. Gwen, you have one more chance before I have to drag your complicit ass away by force. Stand aside, Arca. Oh, no, you don't. Let go of her. 
While she was shouting at Oberon, Robin had sidestepped into position behind Viola. I beg both your pardons, but I daren't let her go. It seems like you need your hands free and mouth uncovered to cast your magic, and you were about to do something that was going to leave everyone unhappy. Alright, now what do we do? I hadn't actually thought that far ahead. Bag? Bag! It may be unoriginal, but it's effective. As Oberon opened and lowered the bag down over her, Viola went limp and then sprang into action, jamming her foot down on Robin's calf and biting his fingers through his glove. <laughs> the split second he drew his hand back instinctually was all she needed. They were on the ground, with the bag on one side. Oberon had grabbed her, but she cried out and directed her fingertips. Useless me! Viola! But it was too late. Robin and Oberon lay in a daze on the ground, not completely unconscious, but very much bewildered. Viola charged forward and away from them, gripping Gwendolyn's hand. The thieves were already picking themselves up and staggering after the two women. Old Meg hung back, far enough away to be unaffected by the spell detonation, shaking her head and tutting. Viola, stop! Stop at once, I say! Oh, I'm so sorry! <laughs> Viola had cast Confuse on the princess, who now stumbled drunkenly after her frantic companion. Oberon was gaining on them. Viola cast Blindness. Oberon careered unceremoniously into a ditch. Robin skidded after them, scrabbling across the overgrown paving and blinking back Confusion to focus. Please wait. It's not safe in the forest. It's not safe anywhere in this discursed land. Robin dodged the silence spell and grinned, realizing that there was a certain physics to these. They could be avoided. <coughs> the confuse hit him square in the chest just as Gwen was returning his dopey grin. His eyes crossed and he doubled over, moaning. C come on. Come on, Grand Princess. Come on, Princess. <laughs> Lila. You have exhausted yourself. <laughs> As the pair of them passed under the portcullis, Viola found herself pushing against an invisible wall. She dived this way and that, battering her little body against empty space as Gwen sat on the ground. But it was no use. Around them they could make out a shimmering bubble. The Dwart slumped down, panting. Gwendolyn smiled lopsidedly and pointed to the little pouch on her friend's belt. You need barley sugar. Viola nodded glumly and fished a sweetie out of her pouch, popping it into her mouth and offering one to Gwen, patting her hand as it was accepted. I'm not giving up. Unless I just, I just need rest and and eat. And then you and I are absolutely, oh, absolutely walking out. As Gwendolyn lay on her tummy and gazed down to the dark moat below the drawbridge, Robin, Oberon and Old Meg drew up, the former pair rubbing their eyes. For the love of jumping Jehoshaphat, can you not do that again? I am currently sick as a dog. And Oberon can barely see. <laughs> You get why she's my bodyguard now? Mm.
You have been listening to The Princess Thieves, written, edited, and produced by Alex Shaw with a full cast. And it is great to be back after many months away. My shoulder pain is mostly gone, and I'm back on the heavy editing horse that is the New Century Multiverse. Thank you all for sticking with this project whilst it was on hiatus. And we have some real treats in store for you in the second and third acts of The Princess Thieves. Arlington, the fourth book of the NCM, we're going to call it that now, the NCM, uh, was released on the Kindle store recently, and it needs honest reviews. Many thanks to Dan Mayer for his. If you want to help people decide whether it's the book for them, then jump onto Amazon and tap out a few words sharing how it made you feel. That would, of course, really help us. We also would love iTunes reviews. We thrive on those. Thank you to Tony the Inquisitive J for his. And both Dan and Tony go on the list of folks who have a chance to get a character in The Princess Thieves named after them. To be on that list, all you need to do is leave us a review. We left it at four weeks until the prize draw last time, so we're resuming that countdown now, and that's three weeks to go. You want a character with your name? You know what to do. The cast for this episode were Narrator 1, performed by Spencer Lieb Narrator 2, performed by Sharon Shaw Princess Gwendolyn, performed by Theo Lee Robin, performed by Alex Shaw Viola, performed by Loretta Saylor Oberon, performed by Matt Wardle and Old Meg, performed by Maureen Foley The Princess Thieves theme was Arrival by I. Sazanoff of Shockwave Sound the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, originally composed by Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky for his 1892 ballet The Nutcracker, here reorchestrated by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com, who himself composed Mist on the Moor, Heavy Heart, Arcade Ched, Killers, and Angevin. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Anthony Flores, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Datchler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salgueiro, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Be back next week for more tales of the once and future king, Arthur, and the Arkenblade he left behind. And be sure to talk about the return of this production on Twitter and use the hashtag PrincessThieves. Now that the story is properly unfolding, it is a great time for newcomers to jump on. Let's help them do that.